Thank you for joining us at First Baptist Church of Welcome. Today we are talking about Palm Sunday. The focal scripture is found in Luke 19, 28 through 44. Here is Pastor Mark Hashkin with today's message. Stay tuned to the end for the challenge of the week. 44. How wonderful it is that we are able to, to be at this place in time to, to celebrate Jesus's triumphant ent entry into, um, into Jerusalem. How thankful we are that God had sent him to be our Savior, to be our sacrifice. Otherwise, brothers and sisters, we'd be facing our own crosses. And none of us want to do that. Today is the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. Isn't that great? We call it Palm Sunday. It's also been called uh, Cloak Sunday. For when they would take the, uh, their coats off of their backs and put it before the donkey as Je Jesus rode in, on, in the road into Jerusalem. It's also believed that Jesus actually entered Jerusalem on three different occasions. On that Saturday, on Sunday, Palm Sunday, and also again on Monday, the following day. Today we're going to look at what took place on that very first Palm Sunday. So, if you have your Bibles, then you want to follow along in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. And I'm going to read first. And God's Word says, And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up into Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he had come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man, never man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall, thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were looking, loosing the colt, the owners therefore said unto them, Why loose ye the colts? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. They cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereupon. And as he, as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the, the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in earth and glory in the highest. And some of the, the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he has come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. 
For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Today I'm going to break down this, this scripture um, piece by piece so that we can better understand um, that ride into Jerusalem for, for our Lord and Savior. So let's get started. In verse 28, where it says, Thus spoken. And then when he had thus spoken, they, he went into Jerusalem went before ascending up into Jerusalem. Jesus had come from Jericho, um, which is about 19 miles away, where he had healed blind uh, Bartimaeus, where he had spoken and dined with Zacchaeus, um, where he had just spoken the parables of the 10 pounds and, and was on his way to Jerusalem, the holy city, for, for the Passover. Verse 29, and it came to pass when he had come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany and at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. So Jesus probably had spent the night in Bethany, probably at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. Mary, if you remember the story, he had sat at his feet and anointed his feet with that expensive spikenard perfume and, and uh, put it in his head. And if you remember also the story in John uh, 12, um, 5, 7, Judas had a fit, right? Judas says, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag and bear that was, that was, was put in. Then Jesus said, let her alone against the day of my bearing. Hath she kept this? Now, he was in Bethpage. Well, Bethany was the next town over. And Jesus sends his two disciples to Bethpage. You know, and this was a, a, to, to get a, a cult, you know, to get something to write on. Now, this is unusual for Jesus because everything that we read about Jesus, he was doing what? He walked, right? He didn't have anything. He never saw, we never saw him riding an animal. So, so it was an unusual request. And then you have to think, well, why would Jesus, son of God, king of kings, want a donkey? Why would he want a donkey? On top of that, why would he want a donkey that it wasn't broken, that had never been ridden? I mean, this was, this was he could have whatever he wanted, right? Well, for one thing, horses weren't very common in that area. Horses were, were expensive. They, they were mostly used for, um, by, by the rich people, known by the rich people, or the military. They weren't, so, so the, the lower classes couldn't have horses. But the other thing was when a conquering king would come into a city, he would ride a horse. But when the king came into the city on a donkey. That was a symbol of peace. 
Now, Jesus is, is on this unbroken donkey, and, and, and again, you wonder why that would happen. And he, he specifically wanted the donkey that had never been then ridden. Maybe it was to show the submission of an unbroken animal to the maker. Maybe it was that he needed something that had never been touched by another man, ridden by another man. Whatever the reason is, we really don't need to know, do we? It's not important. The important thing is, is that Jesus sat upon this donkey and rode it peacefully into Jerusalem. But another thing, if you think about it as a, symbolically, is that Jesus was able to sit on a wild, unbroken animal, but was not able to break the hearts of the people he came to save. His people, the Jewish people, they just would not submit to him as their king, as the donkey did. In verse 31, when it says, If any man asks you, why do you loose him? Thus shall he, you say to him, because he, the Lord hath need of him. Now, Jesus didn't own a donkey, right? So he needed to find one. He had to borrow one from somewhere. The only material things Jesus owned were the clothes on his back, were the things that he carried with him. And in less than a week, the soldiers at the cross will have taken that away from him. Jesus didn't attach himself to the world, brothers and sisters. And we need to understand that we're just pilgrims here. We're just so sojourners. We're visitors. We're just passing through. We shouldn't let the world have such a, a, a tight hold on us. We have a hard grasp on, on more treasures here than we have laid up into heaven for ourselves. And that's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. Our treasures should be in heaven, not here. You can't take that boat with you. You can't take that truck, that house, your bank account. will not transfer to the pearly gates. Corey Tenboom said once that the problem with grasping the things of this world too tightly is that when God has to pry your hands loose, it hurts. So Jesus had to borrow that donkey. Verse 1932. To some, Jesus had apparently made arrangements for that donkey. You know, how would that guy know? And some, and some uh, what do they call them? Yeah, those guys that, that read this stuff and put their own spin on it. Commentaries, that's it. <laughs> um, they, uh, they, you know, they, they think that Jesus had sometime, you know, he'd gone into the city and he had made prior arrangements for say, hey, I'm going to have two guys come and borrow these guys one day. If, they, if you see them taking your, your, your stuff, you know, it's okay. I don't believe that. Jesus was omniscient. He knew everything. He knew this, the, the owner's heart. He knew where to find those animals. 
right? Why would he need to make prior arrangements? He knew the heart of those owners. He knew what was going to happen. So he could say, hey, you two, need you to go over there, go in the city, look to the right, bingo. If the guy comes out and says something to you, just tell him, you, I need it. So clearly, the owners of that donkey knew Jesus, or, or, or maybe he, they were even a disciple, and gladly lent that animal to Jesus for that trip. When they said, the Lord hath need of him, you know, that they would have known that it was Jesus who had sent them. But when we think about it, doesn't everything belong to Jesus anyway? Doesn't it? Everything we have, doesn't it belong to him? Doesn't it belong to God? We say it's ours. We think it's ours. But it all belongs to God. We all got it because God gave it to us some way, shape, or form. I mean, it was Jesus who spoke the world into creation. He created everything in it. And brothers and sisters, we're nothing but caretakers of all that God has allowed us to keep for him. Everything that we have is supposed to be used for the master. In verses 19, uh, 35 and 36, And they brought him to Jesus, that's the donkey, the colt, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set, set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. So the, the two disciples, they took their cloaks off their back, they threw it across that young colt, so, so Jesus would sit on it. Why is that important to mention? In the Old Testament times, to show their respect to a king, people would take their clothes and put them down for the king to walk on. The people did this when Jehu was anointed the king of Israel. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 9, verses 12 and 13, it tells us, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed your king over Israel. Then they hurried, and each man took his garment and placed it under him. On the bare steps, as he blew, uh, the, blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. Of course, we also see where they, uh, in, in the story, where they pull the branches off the palm trees. And we use a palm, they used any tree. They were pulling branches off of anything to put down on the ground as, as Jesus was going past, to, to put uh, as, as respect, out of honor. And here Jesus is coming to Jerusalem as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's riding it on a donkey as a king would come in peace. He'll soon be given a crown, but that crown is made of thorns. A sign's going to be placed over his head on a cross saying, This is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus wasn't the king that these people were hoping for. They wanted a king to rid them of that Roman rule. They wanted a physical king. They wanted a Messiah who would feed them, that would bring miracles to, uh, to revolt against the, the Romans. They wanted their king that would heal the wounded, 
like he did the lepers. They wanted a king that would raise the dead Jewish soldiers like he did Lazarus. They wanted a warrior king. They weren't interested in a king who came to set up a, a kingdom in their hearts. A kingdom for when they were gone. They didn't want a prince of peace. They wanted a prince of war. They not only didn't want to be under the authority of Rome, but they did not want to be under the authority of God's sons either. And sadly, brothers and sisters, we still have that problem today. We want a Savior who won't allow us to go to hell. We want a Savior who won't allow anyone to go to hell. And we believe in justice only if it doesn't condemn us. We don't mind crowning Jesus as the Lord of our lives as long as we don't have to submit to his rule and his authority in our daily lives. We want a Savior who's going to take us to heaven. But we don't want to live for him on our way there. We want to be the, Saint, the Frank Sinatra of our lives. We want to do it our way. Jesus wasn't the Savior they expected, nor was Jesus the Savior that they wanted. Maybe we have the wrong expectations of Jesus for ourselves. Maybe we expect Jesus to be the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy all rolled up into one. Beloved, Jesus came to rule our hearts. Here, today, right now. To take control of our out-of-control lives. To be the Lord of our lives. See, we like the Savior part, right? We like that He saved, but we don't like. We don't like anybody tell us what to do. But the people in Jesus' time didn't want to submit to that, and neither do so many people today. Verses 37 through 38. And when he has come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Bless peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In Matthew 21, verse, verse 8, it says, Most of the crowd spread their coats in, on the road. Others were, were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. Again, this was, this was a, a, a symbol of a conquering king, kind of like getting the red carpet treatment. And just like they were throwing their coats and palm branches at the feet of Jesus, beloved, one day, one day, everyone, everyone, everyone will fall at the feet of Jesus. Amen? Everyone. Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, 
As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Amen and amen. For those who didn't fall at his feet and submit to him as their savior, they're going to fall and submit to him as their judge. Everybody will profess that Jesus is the Savior. Everyone will. Where you spend eternity is when you make that profession. Before you die or afterwards. Verse 37a says, The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So who was shouting? The disciples, right? But the disciples weren't just the twelve apostles. The disciples were all of those peoples that had been following him over those three years. That, that were there at the time. Imagine that throng of people that had come to Jerusalem for that Passover saw him coming down. And they knew that he was the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was that promised Christ. And that he was coming to set up that millennial kingdom that God had promised them. They had heard of, of, of raising Lazarus. They had heard of all of the other miracles that he had performed. They had heard the words that he had spoke. Maybe they were spurred on because maybe Lazarus was even in that crowd. Matthew 21.9 says that they also shouted, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means save us. Save us now. Just like we shall come, Lord. Don't we shout, don't we shout that sometimes? Come on. Come, Lord, save me now. As we wait for the rapture of, of, of the second coming of Christ. Lord, save us from this world of sin. Isn't that what we want? Take us home to be with you. That's what we want as the church. That's, what we, that's our hope. That's what, what we expect. These people that day, those disciples, they were anxious for that millennial kingdom, just like we're anxious for the rapture of the church. Jesus had another kingdom to set up first, though. He has to rule and reign where? In our hearts. In the hearts of men and women. We have to trust him as our Savior. Now, when Jesus comes at the rapture, he's going to take his followers with him and then come back to set up the millennial kingdom that God had promised the Jews. Amen? Now, there were all kinds of people in the crowd that day. Some were disciples who were proclaiming Jesus as their Messiah. Some of them were, were silently watching, just paying attention to what was going on. Not saying a word, just kind of soaking it in. They were uncommitted. Some were caught up in the moment, 
They were jumping on the bandwagon. They were, they were going along with the crowd. They were excited. They were pulled in. Of course, these are the same people that in less than a week would be shouting the words, crucify him, crucify him. Some were watching, but not silently, like the Pharisees. In verse 39, we see where the Pharisees open their mouths and they say, get your people to stop talking like that. Get them to calm down. Why was it so important for the Pharisees to, to, to get Jesus to, to stop that demonstration, to get his people to be quiet? Two reasons. First of all, they were afraid of the Romans. They were afraid that, that calling Jesus the king of the Jews would call in the Roman soldiers to come and break it all up because there was only one king, Caesar. But the more sinister reason was because they were afraid of Christ. They were afraid of the truth that he spoke. They were afraid of the power that he might take away from them, that he would expose them as the, for the frauds that they were. They wanted him to be quiet. He wanted his, his disciples to be quiet. They were intimidated by Christ. They were jealous of his following and how, how quickly people were coming to follow him. Later, when Jesus was brought before Pilate, then we listened to the crowds. In John 19, verses 14 and 15. That was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. They therefore cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Their hearts were hardened and forever. In verse 40, the Pharisees would soon silence the crowd. But Jesus will be praised. In Isaiah, on Isaiah 55, 12, it says, For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into the shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Isn't that a beautiful scene? All of creation praising God. When Jesus was crucified, Matthew tells us that the rocks did indeed cry out. Matthew 27, 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Jesus goes on to tell us what the rocks will say in a few years in verse 41. And when he began to come near, what he beheld the city and he wept over it. Jesus passed over the, the Mount of Olives and I'm told that this is one of the most beautiful parts of the trip. If you go to, to 
Go to the places where Jesus preached. And if you make that trip to, to Jerusalem, coming down out of the Mount of Olives, going down that road, going into the city of Jerusalem, to see, it's one of the most beautiful things, going in through the Garden of Gethsemane, through the, uh, the olive groves, into the city is one of the most beautiful views that, that you might ever see. And Jesus wept. He passed over the Mount of Olives. He had a full view of the city. And he begins to weep, not cry. Weeping is deeper. Much deeper. Why? Because he knew what was ahead of them out of their rejection, out of the crucifixion. He knew what was going to happen. The Bible only tells us two times that Jesus wept. He wept, we know, that when he cried um, at the tomb of Lazarus, just before he raised him. And he wept there probably because of the compassion he had for Martha and Mary and saw you know, how grieved they were. They were his good friends. Lazarus was his friend. But it also had to be compounded by, by the unbelief and the hurt of their hearts, knowing that, that he was going to come, know that what, what he had done, that he was the Messiah. But maybe they didn't trust him as much as he thought they did. And so they wept. In verses 42 through 44. Saying, if thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench around thee, encompass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. That was Jesus telling those around him what was going to happen to them. Around 70 A.D., a rascal named Titus comes into Jerusalem and does exactly that. He takes over Jerusalem. He conquers Jerusalem. They slaughter everybody within the walls. Everybody, man, woman, and child. They kill the animals. Everything within the walls. And then they tore the walls down. What Jesus said, became fact. And now he sees the unbelief in the hearts of the Jews. He knows what's going to happen because of the hardness of their hearts. The stones will certainly cry out as Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus came to bring them peace, to bring us peace. But they didn't know the Son of God had visited them. They didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. The Bible says a lot about tears. And I have to believe that Jesus still shed tears for, for this world. For those of us that 
haven't made that decision, for those of us that don't know Jesus, for those of us that are here today that, that came up and they said the words, but they never had Jesus in their heart, Jesus weeps. He wants you to be a part of his family. And you can believe that one day Jesus will tell those that reject him. In Luke 13, 27 through 28. I tell you that I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. There will be gnash, weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will, when, you, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being cast out. For those who trust Jesus as your Savior, Revelations 21, 4 tells us, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants to make a triumphant entry into your hearts this morning. He wants you to be real. He wants us to be sold out for Christ. Not just to dabble. Not just to think about Him when things are bad. To make Him a real part of your life. He wants you to be part of the family. An active part. When you stand before him one day, he's either going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Or he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. That day will either be triumph or tragedy. Tears of sorrow or tears of joy. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior... Come today and do it. What a wonderful day on a Palm Sunday to walk into Holy Week with really having Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your love letter to us, for your word. where you touch our hearts, where you become real, where your words become alive, that your Holy Spirit will come into our hearts and, and make us, lead us to a beautiful place where we understand who you are as much as our human minds can, where we can wrap our hearts around the thought of you sending your son to be persecuted in such a way to be spit on to be cursed at to have stones thrown out to have his beard pulled out by the roots to be beaten to be punched in the face to be nailed to a cross to die for us us who are unworthy 
And Lord, yet you give us a way because of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for that cross, for your sacrifice. And Father, we also thank you for that resurrection three days later that makes you, that makes you the only God, that makes you the, the Father, makes Jesus the only Savior, the only leader of any religion that still lives today by defeating death. Death is defeated for us, all that follow him. We thank you, we honor and praise you. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All God's children said, Amen. Beneath the, cry, the cross of Jesus, that's where we're at, right? Isn't that where we want to be? Are you there? Are you there? Here's your challenge for this week. It's simple. It really is. This is Holy Week. If you really want this to be Holy Week, then make it holy. Put Jesus in every day. Start with this walk this morning. Envision that ride of Christ into Jerusalem, knowing that death is at the end of the week. Each day, pray for someone that needs prayer, a lost person. Pray for your enemies. Yes, I said that. And I mean, pray that, that their hearts change, not that a brick falls on their head. <laughs> pray for Christ to become more real into your life, that he becomes your brother, that he intends you to be, to be a joint heir with him in God's family. We do hope that you were blessed by this message today. First Baptist Welcome has Sunday worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. Check us out at firstbaptistwelcome.com for all of our services. We are located at 6735 Port Tobacco Road in Welcome, Maryland. That's First Baptist Welcome, where Jesus will meet you where you are, but never leave you there.